I invite you to open your Bible to Exodus chapter 3 again this evening. Exodus chapter number 3. In Exodus chapter number 3, uh, we have the, the case, uh, what we've talked about is uh, Moses coming to the backside of the desert. And uh, in the process of that, uh, we've said that the Lord is uh, using this time uh, to teach him uh, the matter of uh, uh, how he is going to relate and he's going to lead the children of Israel. And uh, we've talked about the uh, issue that all through uh, the book of Exodus after the Moses meeting in chapter 3, when you get over to uh, chapter number 4, and the uh, um, Jews, the Israelites, Israel down in uh, Egypt, look at chapter 4 and look at verse number 23. Uh, this is the, one of the requests that's been brought from uh, Moses once he gets back to Egypt and he goes into the Pharaoh and uh, communicates uh, to him. This is what he's supposed to, to say in verse 23. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even the firstborn. And uh, this is a, a sort of a rehearsal. Uh, verse 21 tells you this is what the Lord said to Moses when thou goest and return into Egypt. Uh, See that thou do all the wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in thine hand. And of course he's talking about the whole list of these um, issues and these wonders that he will commit. And the very last one of those will be verse 23. I will slay thy son if you do not let them go. So in chapter 4 he talks about the, the issue of serving. And then look over to chapter 7. And look in chapter 7, look down to verse 16. And it says, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Skip over two two more chapters. Look over chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 8 said, And the Lord spake unto Moses, and says, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And skip down to verse 20 in chapter 8. The Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before the Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. It happens again in chapter 9. It happens again in chapter 10. What's important about this is I told you that the word uh, for worship is from a word that has, uh, uh, in the Hebrew, carries with it the ideal of bowing down or doing homage. But it is also important to know that in the Greek language, when you talk about uh, this business of uh, bowing down and worshiping, the second Greek word that's applied in the New Testament is a word that means to serve or to minister. So in, uh, with one of the Hebrew words, the same way in the Old Testament, the word serve in these verses that I've read to you, chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 8, and also in chapter 9, that we didn't read in chapter 10, what, uh, what the Lord is asking Moses to tell Pharaoh is, I want my people to come out and I want you to serve me, but the idea is I want you to worship me. They were asking to be, the Lord was asking Pharaoh and will ultimately force him to this, let my people go that they'll worship me. And look if you would, uh, and I'll show you a couple of theories, a few of these. Look from uh, where you are in Exodus. Look over to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the law. In Deuteronomy, and look at chapter number 1, and look at chapter 1, look down to verse 2. 
in uh, chapter 2, this is the Moses recounting God's promises to Israel and them leaving Egypt. And he said, There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And the uh, point made about that is, is Horeb is where Moses sees the burning bush. Look down to chapter 1, verse number 6. In verse 6, the Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, that's the mount of God, in Exodus chapter 3, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Look down on to verse number 19 of chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, and he says, When he departed from Horeb, we went through all the great and terrible wilderness when, which he, ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, and the Lord of our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. All this is talking about Horeb, and Horeb was a major place. Now look over chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Look down to verse number 10. Deuteronomy 4.10, Specially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they may live upon the earth, and they may teach their children. Look at verse 15 of chapter Number four, take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. That's talking about uh, Moses when he was on uh, on the Mount of Horeb, Mount Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God, back over in Exodus chapter three. And what's interesting about this is he uses that to say when you were up there and I spoke to you out of the fire. You saw no image. You saw no image. So in effect he says, I don't want you making images of me. I don't want there to be any idol worship. You saw no image. You saw no similitude in me. I just spoke to you. And that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I will speak. You will listen. You will worship or serve me. Because by the way, uh, don't miss the fact that over in uh, Exodus chapter number 3, uh, that's what the Lord said in chapter 3 in verse uh, number uh, 12. He said, And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And I'll assure you, that word service was not intended. They'd do a work for him. i uh, remind you that uh, all God has to do to get what he wants is to say, Be, and it will be. You know, he doesn't have to have us. We're not necessity to his cause. He has chosen to use us for his glory, but uh, we cannot put a stop to God's word. If every Baptist church went out of business tomorrow, God's work will keep right on going and moving forward. It may change the dynamic of it in some ways, but it'll keep on moving. It'll go forward, and it won't be a thing whereby we'll have issues concerning uh, people and, and things not getting done God's way. God will, will have a way and a means, even if he has to speak and say, Be. And it'll be. You know, God just does not need us. So this ideal in chapter 3 and verse 12 is not talking about they're going to get up there and do all the things God wants them to do as a work and a slaving and a sweating kind of job. That's no way it is. It carries especially the ideal there of worship. And that's the way it's covered much of the, of the Bible. Look at chapter 5 of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, Moses called, uh, in verse 1, called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak into your ears uh, this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. Verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. 
his uh, emphasis of going back to Horeb is to remind them that uh, God told them that when they got out of uh, Egypt, that what would be the prime thing was to listen to what he had told them, the covenant that he had made with them, the scriptures, the judgments, the statutes that they would learn, and there they would serve him, meaning there they'll worship him. And the basis of that is they'll know God by what he says, what he has said and what he has done. So last time we were together, we were talking about that, and that is uh, um, who do you worship? And uh, I subscribe to the fact and uh, the idea that uh, the better you get to know God, the better your worship will be. And uh, I still contend, after hearing people talk about it, uh, I'm personally convinced that there are people who go to church on Sunday and go through the routine, but when they walk out the door and get in their vehicles to leave, they could not say, we've worshipped the Lord. They'd say, we've sung songs and we heard a message, but I have not worshipped. I have not worshipped. I have not served the Lord today. didn't do that. And so I'm saying to you that I think one of the answers to that is what's revealed about God in the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Last time we were together, I commented on a few of them. Let me add to the list. Last time I talked to you about God is personal, and uh, I think that's a, um, a big deal, that God is personal. And um, every time I, I think about this, uh, people... In many of the writings of the liberals talk about God being an impersonal force. And uh, when they do that, they're, they're trying to get away from the personal accountability between them and God. God is personal, and you and I are going to be held personally accountable for what he's revealed to us that we have not grasped so we can enhance our worship. He wants our worship. He, do, he doesn't need your work. He doesn't need your service. He can get all that done as he chooses. What he wants from us is our loyalty, our love, and our worship. And when you get that down, and it only comes when you really get to know him. And, and the better you get to know him, uh, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about that. You're to love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul. And the fact is that in loving him that way, people who love God that way will learn of him. Learn of me, he'll say, and has said. There's several uh, other elements. One of them we said the last time was not only is he personal, but he is eternal. That's a sort of a mind-boggling kind of uh, understanding, but Psalm 90 and verse number 2 testifies to that. And unlike any other uh, being, he never had a beginning. And uh, it's hard for us to uh, relate to that, but God never had a beginning. God, God didn't just one day you know, come to be. God is eternal. He is everlasting. And the fact is that uh, when you bow down to worship him, uh, you're bowing down to the one of a kind. There is none other. There is no other God, man-made or otherwise, that qualifies on the bas- basis of being everlasting, eternal, no beginning, and there'll be no end. And there's no other being like that. So what it is that's important about that is is when we sing songs that have references about the everlasting God or from everlasting to everlasting or from eternity to eternity, uh, it's emphasizing the fact that our God is unique. He's one of a kind, and, and that ought to bolster your worship of him. It, it ought to lend itself to motivation to bow and humbly bow before him. 
because he's a he's a God one of a kind, and uh, there's none other like him. Also, I mentioned it, but I didn't go much further than that. Is that God is all knowing? I know of a lot of verses, but let me show you just a couple, maybe one or two. But look at Psalm one forty seven. Uh, Psalm 147, look down to verse number, oh, begin in verse number 4. Psalm 147, verse number 4. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by name, or their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It's another way of saying his knowledge is unlimited. He knows everything about everything. And he knows everything there is to know about us and our world, uh, our church, our uh, universe. Um, His knowledge is not hindered in any way by people, places, or things. Um, He knows everything there is to know and all that there will be. That just, uh, for us finite people, that's just incomprehensible. He knows everything. And uh, the good news is, He that knows you best loves you most. That's worthy of worship. So His all-knowingness is big Because he knows everything there is to know about you, both what is and what will be. And he loves you still. Boy, I tell you, I don't get too excited about the people who uh, don't know me telling me they love me. You know, when somebody says, hey, preacher, I love you. I say to myself, you don't know me. But when my wife turns to me and says, hon, I love you. Man, my 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 flesh crawls because she knows me and she loves me. How much more it ought to be with God who knows you better than anybody in the world, even who loves you, knows you, and still he loves you. And I say to you, that's what the basis of worship is, is to understand him. And the better you understand him, the more it just draws worship out of you. And that's why... Worship can uh, be something as simple as when you go uh, out and about tomorrow and uh, some situation gives itself to where you really see the good hand of the Lord in it, that you stop and just give the Lord the praise on the spot. You don't have to come back to the church and come here at the front and bow down and, and sing a song and praise Him. You get right where you are. You can just stop and say, Lord, to you be all the glory and the praise for what you've just done. This is beyond human comprehension. It's beyond what man could do. You've obviously done that. And I, I give praise to that. I really uh, gave the NFL where to of in the services one. You know that. Uh, I, I got death threats after the services. I've had all kinds of things done to me. No, not really. But I was so thankful and appreciative of the vice president of the United States who walked out of the Colts game today when those players did not stand for the national anthem. I, I, we have needed somebody in uh, what we call high robe, to walk out of a place when there was disrespect to our flag. 
and I appreciate him doing it. It doesn't make him spiritually better, but it does say this. He has some backbone, and he showed it in this. And, uh, and I say to you that uh, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no fan of the NFL. You know, to me, it doesn't mean National Football League. It has other names, and I won't give that now because I, I don't want to give away my name that I have for it. But the fact of the matter is I, I, have, no, I have no respect for it. Uh, whiners and grumblers and complainers, and then they get an idea about the flag issue and flag on that. I mean, that's just ridiculous, silly and foolish stuff. But the point is this. Christians ought to have a kind of loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is, what he's done, and we ought to stand for him in every given set of circumstances. And whenever you get a chance to say something and, and take a stand about things, you ought to do it because the day may come where some of the things you take for granted now that would give a demonstration of your love for the Lord, that uh, you may not get to do that. And I say to you, some of our missionaries have already talked about that. There are some things they can't do now that they took for granted when they were here in America. They just thought, oh, yeah, you can do that. And they get to their places of service, and they say, oh, oh no, 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 you can't do that. You can't speak of the Lord Jesus Christ that way in this place. You, you can't do that. It's against the law. I say to you that what has to happen is that we are, we are a people. Um, they can maybe control us in public places, but they could not, and they will never be able to, for you to be able to give the Lord the glory in a given set of circumstances when it's in front of you and you see God's hand in it. Just stop and give the Lord the glory. On two occasions, I've been uh, in a place, in a city, where I have seen someone get something that really was an evident answer to prayer. And in the downtown setting with people going and coming and busy and cars going by and everything else, I saw these people simply go up against the wall, put their hands up against a brick building, and I heard them thanking the Lord for whatever it was that God had done. And there in a busy street... They just stopped and were giving the Lord the glory for what he had accomplished in this situation, whatever it was. I just say to you, that's worship. And that's the kind of worship that is spontaneous. And nobody has to coach you and nobody has to encourage you and nobody has to, to tell you, why did you do that? Why, why would you do that kind of thing? Because they came to know how good God was. And for his goodness, they worshipped him. See, worship ought to be drawn from you. It ought to not be coached to you. It ought not to be that you have to have a worship leader to get you to do what any Christian ought to do when they come to know God better. And that's what the Bible's teaching about, and that's what it is in these settings. But it's not only the matter of him knowing about things in general about our world because he created it and he knows about it, but it's also to know us and to know us well. I respect the fact that the Bible talks about the very hairs of your head are numbered, and I don't have a doubt about that at all, that uh, no matter as we lose hair every day, I'm pleased he's keeping a good count and knows exactly how many are left. Uh, you see, I just don't think we fathom how wise and how intelligent and how much knowledge God has. And I think because we don't understand the, the, the great vastness of his knowledge, we don't have the draw about that to give him worship and praise him. Uh, we are more impressed with a small child who might be able to quote the Gettysburg Address than we would to think for a moment of how great God is and how much he knows and how much how wise he is and the things he's done. We just don't think in terms of that because it's easier for us to see a child who seems to be smart and has, has done some feat of memorization 
And that, that amazes us. But we don't get too amazed about this all-wise God that we have. He knows everything. Every single thing there is to know, God knows. And the Bible holds it up and uses this verse here in Psalm 147 as a case in point. But also, and this one we'll close with, is that God is all-powerful and uh, uh, he can do anything that he chooses to do, that's for sure. And the Bible makes it clear. Look, if you were back in the Psalms, but this time go backward to Psalm 115. Look at Psalm 115 and look down to about a verse, oh, verse number, verse 3. We'll get it, I think. Psalm 115 and down to verse number 3. Psalm 115 and verse, <clears throat> verse number 3, the Bible says, But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And you should remember this, that God does not um, um, just do what's right and good. That's putting God on the wrong end of it. What's good and right, God brought about. So he not only does it, he created it. If it's good and it's right... He's at the front end of it. He's not at the back end of it. We're not to say, well, this is good and this is right. And God said, okay, then I'll do good and right. Uh, God is good in himself. And God is everything that is good. God has a hand and has had a hand in bringing into being. So it's not a matter of saying to people, which I don't think is a wise way to put it, because I don't think the Bible puts it that way, is that God will always do good. Well, God is good, and whatever is good, he did. He is the one who implemented it, or otherwise it wouldn't be good. Man does not, cannot bring good out of anything. Whatever good you do, God helped get here, because it's not good enough of yourself. You just can't. And Romans tells us that in chapter 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that do it good, period. And to do it good in the context is you can't manufacture it. You can't bring it to be. You can, you can only do what you've been given to work with. God doesn't have to be that way. When we have our word in the work in the, the Hebrew in the book of Genesis, when God created, he brought something out of nothing. That's the way he does with good. What's good and right, he brought out of nothing, or at best something we were trying to do and couldn't get it done, and he brought good out of it. And there it's not God does good. God is good. He's the originator of it. And for God's people to understand that difference because we see the world saying, well, we know God would always do the right thing. That's putting God on the wrong end of the equation. He's at the front end. If it's right, he created the right. And it's you and me, then, who ought to do the right thing. If it's good, you and I ought to do the right thing, but he created the good. And it's amazing that how we miss that, but that's all under this business as, as in this verse, in Psalm 115 and, and verse number 3, that he hath done whatsoever he had pleased. And because he is good, everything that he does is good. God is always good. Because God himself is good. And that is, he is in his person. He's inherent in it. And everything that he do, does is good. Things that you and I would think, well, that's not good. God was, uh, the song that we sang, uh, Brother Mike, the new one we did, we just, uh, what was the name? Makes no mistake. That song a while ago has this very point in it. Is that you and I look at something and we say, man, it's awful. 
Well, if God had a hand in it, it ain't awful. It's awful because we only see the side of it that looks awfully black, like some cloud of thunderstorm or something. And we say, man, this isn't going to be good. A farmer looks at it on the other side, and if he's dying of thirst and his crops need a lot of rain, he's looking and saying, well, this is going to be a blessing, man. This is going to be good. Everything God does and everything God allows is good, ultimately. And I say to you, no matter what you think I think or anybody else thinks, God cannot do bad he has nothing to do with bad. He allows it to happen, but he didn't create the bad to get it to happen to you and me. He allows is he's he's allowing things to happen, and he does it to get good to you and me. That's why Romans eight is so good. You know, calling and considering things bad and and saying, well, this is awful. This happened. This is not good. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. His whole point about that is he is good, and he's going to do you good, but to get to that, it may be things that you think are hard and tough and difficult and painful. But nonetheless, the Bible holds it up as that's one of the bases and reasons why uh, you and I ought to really, um, we ought to really worship God when we come to understand that he, he can't do any bad. Uh, whatever comes into your life or mind that's not pleasant, if it's under the good hand of the Lord, it's not ultimately going to be bad. It's ultimately going to be good and because uh, he doesn't have anything to do with bad. It's always good. Let me show you another verse that, um, that fits into a similar thing, but this may be um, this is the reason why he can look at it that way. Look at, at Psalm 139, if you would, 139, and look at uh, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Psalm 139. And look down to verses 7 and 8. This is not only is uh, verses Psalm 115, verse 3, about him being all-powerful, but uh, God is everywhere present with that power. And Psalm 139, in verse number 7, says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, or the grave, behold, thou art there. This verse is a verse of Scripture has the emphasis of it, of um, God being uh, everywhere present and His absolute presence. That is to say, wherever He is, He is all there. He doesn't send a part of Him in some locations. Wherever God is, He's all there. And um, that's to tell you and me that it's a lesson we need to learn because... Um, uh, some of you may be sitting here, but your minds may be on the refrigerator at home. Yeah. Your body may be here. Your mind may be on your work at tomorrow. Your body may be here, but your thoughts are somewhere else. That's not the way it is with God. That's the one thing, or one of the one of the many things, in which God is so different from us that it ought to get us to worship him. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And he meant, I'm completely there. I'm all there. I'm not sent, uh, I'm not sent a representative. I'm there. When two or three are gathered in my name, and the reason and the way he can do that, because he's everywhere present at the same time, and he's there in his total presence. 
And that ought to be something for which God's people would praise Him. Because when we come together today, this morning, this evening, and we've gathered together with a purpose to worship the Lord, it ought to be that uh, just knowing that He uh, is fully, completely, totally here, uh, not like He's only here part of the time, He's here where those people are gathered. And I say to you that a lot of that um, uh, has to do with our real purpose. And so I'd say one of the question marks that hangs over the whole matter of worship is uh, when you come together and um, we show up at the New Life Baptist Church, have we really in motive and purpose of motive, have we really come to worship the Lord? Uh, are we? Did we come just to, to fulfill some sense of moral obligation to be in church on Sunday? Or did we come because our hearts drew us to want to worship the Lord because of who He is and what He is doing and what He's done? And so we made sure we want to be in church, we want to be there, and we want to be uh, right in the midst of folks singing and worshiping the Lord. Um, I think why we come, and we'll talk about this in the next time or two, is uh, equally as important as um, understanding who He is. It's why you come to worship Him. Why do you come to worship Him? I say we ought to worship Him because of all these truths about Him. But the question comes down to who and why you think you ought to worship Him. And in fact, do you really worship Him? Do you see Him for who the Bible says He is? I maintain that when uh, people worship the Lord and they do not know what the Bible says about Him, it's false worship. And that's why it's so important about the truths in the Bible, that what the Bible describes, the characteristics of God. It's why it's so important for us to ingrain those in our young people as they grow up in our homes, that they know who God is, and they know how wonderful He is, and how magnificent He is, how awe-inspiring it is to read about Him and His great works, and how He does, and what He does. And when we ought to just, it ought to just take it out of us to worship Him. I mean, it, uh, the place in the presence of the Lord, ought to be on our faces. Our faces. Bowed down. Because that's really what the word worship means primarily. And then the second one is to serve. To minister. So I say to you that in the next week or so as we continue these, and I hope that you'll get a grip on them, and as we get into the life of Moses further, you'll see some things about him that he teaches us in his own lifestyle that the Lord has brought about, of how he learned to worship sincerely and genuinely and um, got in situations where there was no room for error. You know, there'll be some places that you may get into when it comes down to a de desperation of prayer. Uh, in the service this morning, uh, I was uh, shaking hands with people as they came by, and I wasn't saying much. I was a little emotional. And uh, one uh, one person came by, and and I put out my hand and shook hands, and, and they just said, uh, uh, I said, are you okay? And they said, got trouble at home trouble at home and I said I'll be praying for you see sometimes um, like Abe Lincoln used to say as the president of the United States he said sometimes we're driven to our knees because we've exhausted all other places to turn for help I think sometimes that's the case with us sometimes we'll learn to worship by coming to realize who God is in settings and circumstances where heretofore we just didn't see him that way, but we came to know him better. And as you come to know him better, you'll come to love him more. And as you come to love him more, worship will come more freely. It's hard to worship 
a God that you really are not in love with. I mean, really would do anything for, give up anything, share, sacrifice, surrender, yield. When you come to a point where He is everything, it's easy to worship Him. And it's gravitational. It just sort of pulls from you. You've been in the service. Brother Mike's led us in some music sometime. And not that it doesn't happen all the time. It may happen all the time with, with some of us. Uh, it, it happens to me on occasion when I'm sitting up here, Brother Mike's leading, and you're singing with uh, the zest and zeal. And uh, it's happened when Brother Mike's led. It happened Brother Barry was leading on a Wednesday night. And uh, I, I think in both cases... Uh, it was the song we were singing, It Is Well With My Soul. And for some reason, we just sang it with uh, a Wednesday night. We sang it with a new zest. And on Sunday, the people just seemed to jump into it and sing. And boy, my heart was lifted. And I was singing, but in my heart, I was giving the Lord the glory that it is well with my soul. And I say to you that that's what worship is to do. It's to be drawn from you, not by coaching but by expression of real, sincere appreciation and love for the Lord. That's what the Bible is talking about. And the better you get to know Him, the better you'll worship. And when you leave the services, you can say, I have worshipped the Lord today. I've really sort of let myself go and praise Him when what we were singing and while we were talking. I just give the Lord the glory. And I heard people talking about answers to prayer, and I just uttered the words, uh, Praise the Lord for the Lord's working in the lives of the New Life Baptist Church family. So I want you, and I hope you will, check your worship. Make sure it's based on what the Bible says about the Lord. Make sure that the more you get to know Him, the more freely you worship Him. And I hope that you'll grow in your worship around here. Let's stand together. We'll have prayer and you can go home. Thank you for listening so patiently and thank you for being faithful. And I pray the Lord favor on you this week. Our loving Father, we do thank you for all your greatness. We thank you, Father, that you're personal. Thank you, Father, that you are eternal and everlasting. There's no such thing as uh, you changing or being altered in any way. And Father, we thank you for your great power. Thank you for your great love wherein you've loved us. Thank you, Father, for your uh, work and being in all places at the same time present. Thank you that when we come to worship here at the New Life Baptist Church and we come with that express purpose frequently, that you've already made a promise that where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of us. We thank you and praise you for that. And I pray you'll help all of us to praise you more fully and freely. And Father, I pray that as we go about our routines tonight and tomorrow and this week, I pray we'll catch ourselves saying out loud, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. Father, help us to praise you like the psalmist did. And help it to be drawn from us. Help it to be in such a, an expression of our hearts that it's not something that we were told to do, but it's something that because of how we know you, we want to do. And so I pray that you'll use our worship services here to refresh our spirits and help us to grow in our grace and knowledge of you and help us to love you more. And as we do, help us to serve you, even the work, the ministry in our local church here, and even where we go to work, that we can bear a good testimony for you. And may all of that be the outflow of our, our worship, where there's an inflow of our knowledge of you. 
So bless now as we go from this place. Thank you for our people and for all of our members and guests of our church. And I praise you for the day, the morning service, the Sunday school hour, the worship service. And now we conclude the day with this evening service. I pray you'll give our people safety and protection in giving home. And I pray for the ladies' meeting that will take place this evening. I pray you'll bless, lead, and direct in that so we can be fully prepared for our Thanksgiving banquet on November the 4th. So bless, lead, and direct in that. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and the salvation we have in Christ. In his name we pray.